up, everybody. You're now at your favorite stop for all things sports, politics, and culture. It's the Wake Up and Win podcast with Devon Pouncey, a production of ThatCast Network. Hey now, say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. We are here in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon. We are at the Living the Dream Studios per usual. And I got D-Boy alongside me today. What's going on, fella? Hey, now. Hey, now. I'm back. What's up, guy? Oh, man. A whole lot, actually. <laughs> I say I'm back because it feels like it's been a minute again for me. Yeah, it's been a while. I know. Was that the last episode or the episode before that that I did by myself? <clears throat> I know I did an episode by myself, but I think we might have done one more episode since then. And now here we are again doing another episode, obviously. Christmas just passing yesterday. Merry Christmas to all of you. Happy New Year, upcoming, happy holidays, all of that good stuff. If I hadn't said it to you before, I would like to say it to you now. So, um, yeah, but we're back. We're here day after Christmas. A lot to talk about, a lot to cover. Um, But I also think we have a lot of announcements that need to be made before we get into some of these topics that I know you all would love to hear what our take is on them. So, um. D-Boy, you got any announcements to start off? I know Nah, I got announcement few. section you. I'm good. Okay, okay. No well, announcements for the big dog right now. I'll talk about some stuff at the end toward the music stuff. But. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely talk some music today as well. So make sure that y'all are locked and loaded for that. Um, but I do got several announcements to make because, hey, I'm booked and busy right now. And I'm not mad about it. But um, I guess I'll start off with Portland State this Saturday. Um, y'all know I commentate for Portland State University's men's basketball team and got a big game this weekend against uh, Northern Arizona. So that'll be a pretty big one for those guys this weekend. And uh, I'm definitely excited and looking forward to commentating that game. It'll be this Saturday in the park blocks at the Viking Pavilion at 2 o'clock. I think this might be our only daytime game Usually, because most of our conference games are at night. This might be our only daytime game this year. Um, and did I say Northern Arizona? I think I meant, I think I said Northern Arizona. I thought I heard Northern Arizona. I meant Northern Colorado. Yeah, you for sure <laughs> said that. Yeah, go. I meant Northern Colorado. They're playing against Northern Colorado this Saturday, and that's obviously going to be a big game for them because it's big sky play being opened up. And so with big sky play coming through, I'm somebody that has always been a huge advocate for conference play being the most important part of college basketball. Obviously many folks will say it's March madness because that's the most hyped up and excited time of the year. When it comes to college basketball, it's also the time of year where you find out who will be crowned national champion. But the reason why I always say that conference play is so important is because you only have a select few teams, maybe 20 to 25 teams, usually your top 25 teams that have that guarantee to be locked in to play for the NCAA tournament, regardless of kind of what they do in conference play. And they still have to have some success in conference play to be ranked that high anyway. So with it being such a small pool of teams that you kind of know are going to be there in the end playing in the national tournament, conference play is so important on so many levels because for a lot of teams, their only way into being able to play for a national championship in the NCAA tournament is by being a conference champion. 
whether that be a regular season conference champion or obviously you getting an automatic bid by winning a conference tournament. For the Big Sky Conference in particular, none of these teams, it's a mid-major conference, will be playing in the NCAA tournament unless they win the Big Sky Conference. But other than that, you won't see any of these teams playing in that tournament. Last year, you had Montana who won the Big Sky, and they played in the NCAA tournament. So for this level, definitely for lower levels, Division II, Division III, junior college, you name it, conference play always has held kind of the highest and the most important um, sector of a basketball season, a college basketball team, a season especially, mm-hmm. than any other part of the year. Right, right. So I'm definitely excited. And, in fact, speaking of Portland State, this is the only team that they hadn't beaten last year in conference play. So this is a big game for that reason as well. Northern Colorado beat Portland State both times at home and on the road last season. So for Portland State, there should be a little bit of a chip on their shoulder rolling into this game this weekend, that being the first team that they're playing, and they got them right at home where they tend to be very successful at. Mm -hmm. Um, Staying on the Portland State front, I do want to give a quick shout-out to Valerie Cleary. Valerie Cleary is the athletic director at Portland State. And she has gotten a five-year extension Jeez. as the athletic director at PSU. That's good. And that's huge. That's huge. And I definitely wanted to give her a quick shout-out there on that. Um, Valerie is one of the first people, maybe one of the first four or five people that I met in coming to the state of Oregon back on my recruiting visit before I even moved in officially and lived here. I came out here on my recruiting visit when I went to Pacific University and Val was one of the first people I met. And from the very first day, Val has always looked out for me. And I don't think there's a person in the world more deserving for that position than Valerie Cleary. Not just because of what she's done for me, but what she's been able to do uh, during her time leading up to this point of becoming an athletic director. The resume speaks for itself. And I'm going to speak on her behalf as well because I know how solid of an individual she is, how smart of an individual she is, and I see nothing but loads and loads of success coming her way. I wouldn't be surprised if one day she ended up being a Pac-12 AD, personally. Damn, yeah, that's big. I mean, I mean she right handles now, her business. she handles her business. I mean, she's already a Division I Big Sky Athletic Director, but I wouldn't be surprised one day to see her become an Athletic Director in the Pac-12 at one of these kind of high major universities. Um, also, next Friday, I got three dates booked for January, but um, as we continue to do these podcasts, I'll keep telling y'all what dates are booked. But next Saturday, excuse me, January 4th, I will be back at Export, vibing on the rooftop. Um, Export has been great to me. I must be very honest with you. And it's been great for a lot of y'all that have come out and, watch me DJ or listen to me DJ and got to kind of have some fun and socialize for a lot of folks. It's been their first time coming to see this beautiful rooftop bar on the 16th floor of the Porter Hotel. And for some of y'all, y'all already knew the vibes leading into it, but it makes it better when your boy is up there on the rooftop on the ones and twos. So um, my next date is January 4th. Got a couple more dates booked in January as well. And we will get into that a little bit later on. Um, Also, uh, many of you know that I work for Street Roots, and Street Roots has allowed me 
to become a model and pursue some of my modeling dreams. Um, and for those of you that would like to know and really more so like to see how that came out, um, just stay tuned at some point this weekend. I'll be fo- posting some pictures oh, wow. of, of a photo shoot that I did <laughs> on behalf of Street Roots. But basically, um, there's like a marketing company or a marketing firm called Camp Grizzly based here out of Portland, Oregon. They've got a satellite office out in New York. They work really close, closely with Adidas and many other um, big-time corporations uh, as far as from a marketing perspective is concerned. And they have partnered up with us, and they have merchandise that they're selling, essentially, but they're selling it by way of you donating the street routes. So we have a Shopify page. If you go to our street route social media, you'll be able to easily find that because we've started pushing and promoting it. But basically, they have things from tote bags to T-shirts to hoodies and different things of that sort. And so depending upon how much you donate, you can get a free piece of merchandise in return based on your donation. Mm -hmm. And all the proceeds go to street routes from Camp Grizzly. So it's a really cool deal um street roots has gotten loads of support this year and i don't see the support dying down any at all if it really dying down at all during 2020 so um get you some street roots merchandise and donate at the same time so you can fulfill a good deed of yours get you some merch um and make sure you make that happen before the end of the year as we are still in the midst of our winter fun drive there um I think that's all the announcements I got. D-Boy, you said you don't have any, right? Yeah, I'm good. We rocking. I'm ready to get into this great content. Well, what you want to talk about? Because we can go either way. We can talk about Marshawn going to Seattle, or we can talk about last night's Christmas Day games. Let's start with Christmas Day games. Christmas Day games? Might as well. That way, Christmas talk is done after that. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm I'm, I'm, I'm out of the Christmas mode. I'm over Christmas now. It it came came and gone. (laughs) So we might as well just get that, you feel me? So they don't got to hear Christmas out our mouth the rest of the episode. For sure, for sure. Well, I guess let's just start with the primetime game, the battle of the the L.A. squads. You had the Lakers. You had the Clippers. A phenomenal game it was. Um, Super fun game to watch. I think it lived up to all the hype that was anticipated going into that game. Um, You saw some of the best players in the league really go out there and put on quite a show. And I think the best player in the league proved once again why he is the best player in the league. Kawhi Leonard. Stop it. Stop it. Is he not the best? No. Who's the best? You saying that's playing right now? Right now, Giannis. I would have to give it to Kawhi. I would have to give it to Kawhi. I think Giannis is the most dominant, similar to like similar to like Shaquille O'Neal. I don't think when Shaquille O'Neal played, I mean, you can make an argument that he was the best player when he played, but you could also make a play, a case for Kobe, and before that, you could make a case for for MJ or whoever. I could accept even that back, comparison. Even back, even back when he was on the Orlando Magic, most dominant player in the league was Shaquille O'Neal. I could accept the that. best was Michael Jordan. I think you could say the best was Kobe, even during that time period. I'll give you think Giannis Kawhi the most, is the most skilled player. I think Kawhi is the most skilled player I in could, basketball. I could rock with that. He, he's an efficient scorer. He is a dynamite defender, probably the best defender, definitely the best two-way player in basketball, if you ask me. Um, he, he He's just all the way around a dynamic player. Now, I've had some people going, out, going at me as of late, especially yesterday, because 
after that game was over, I pretty much tweeted and put out on social media that Kawhi Leonard was the best player in the NBA and that he had a chokehold on the city of L.A. right now. I think it stands true based on what he's been able to do in that head-to-head matchup both times this season. And I had Coach B.J. Smith from our hometown of Vallejo. Um, He's coached college ball. He's a trainer. Very well respected back in my hometown when it comes to being a basketball mind. And he responded to my tweet in regards to Kawhi being the best. And he said that Kawhi cannot be the best because the best ability is availability. And because Kawhi practices low management, that means he I must not be that, that available. I don't agree with not that. Not at all. <laughs> I think that's not good, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a brilliant basketball mind, it. a proven one. I believe at it. that. I don't, but I, he had the audacity. The reason I'm going to tell you I don't believe that's a good one because I tried to think of that to say it on the podcast, and it, I don't think it would have stuck if I said it. I was going to be my reaction before I say Giannis, I was going to be like, he don't play enough BS. He plays enough to prove that he's the most skilled in the league. Kawhi, most definitely. And and here's the thing. And and here's the thing. He talked about durability. And so I asked him, who do you think the best player in the league is? And he said, LeBron James. Well, what do you know? LeBron James had a groin injury coming into that game. Didn't play the game prior to that. And now he's (laughs) re-injured the groin. In last night's game against the Clippers in the first half when he had a collision with Pat Beverly. And he said that he took steps back five days where he was when he initially injured the groin rather than taking that game off, resting up a little bit more. And now instead of managing a load, he's got to manage an injury. I guess Pat Beverly messed him up all kind of ways. Pat Beverly is... I don't think there's ever oh, been an man. NBA player that I've had more of a love-hate relationship with than Patrick Beverly. Usually, I loved him until usually last night. I hate an, usually there's he lost an, me money. There's an intense love that I have for a player, or there's an intense hate that I have for a player. Like, obviously, Kobe Bryant, mad love for Kobe Bryant. Um, Steph Curry, mad love for Steph Curry. I would even say James Harden is somebody that I've got mad love for. Um, but there's also guys that I've hated and obviously not on a personal level, but just solely speaking from a basketball level, Pat Bev, it's love and hate all wrapped up in one and both feelings are equal. Where does the hate come from? Um, well, I think a lot of the hate comes from him playing against Steph Curry so much in the playoffs and really kind of seeing how dirty and nasty he would be when he was playing for the Houston Rockets. And then, obviously, last year he and ended up playing for the this coming from somebody Clippers. who likes some cut, though. I love it. So, I love it. So but that's why I love him so much, too. But as far as the hate is concerned, like, I'm a big fan of Steph Curry. I would have to say Kobe is by far my favorite player of all time. I still uh, subscribe to the notion that Kobe Bryant is the greatest basketball player of all time. Sue me. I don't care. Um, but Steph Curry, I would say, is that next best guy on the list for me or my next favorite guy on that list because I have just been infatuated with his game since college. It, ha- it didn't even come when he started rallying off and doing what he was doing in the pros, but I have actually some more like sentimental memories of when Steph Curry was playing in college during the NCAA tournament. Some of the last memories I actually have with our uncle Rick Pouncey was watching Steph Curry go completely off uh, in the NCAA playoffs 
and or in the NCAA tournament, excuse me, and then just a day or two after that, Uncle Rick passed away. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of kind of sentimental value as far right. as me and Steph Curry is concerned gotcha. when it comes to the sport of basketball. And then, you know, I've already kind of talked about and discussed the year before they won their first championship in 2015 when I was friends with the cheerleader and I essentially was a season ticket holder because she got me tickets to every game. Um, So there I kind of reconnected with Steph Curry as far as my love and my appreciation for him as a basketball player. Um, But with Pat Bev, he would always play against them. As I mentioned before, when he was on the Houston Rockets, he would always play against them. And then after that, when he started playing with the LA Clippers, they played last season against each other in the first round of the playoffs. So I would always see Pat Bev just do some slimy, grimy shit, which <laughs> there's no other answer to beating that team than doing some slimy, grimy shit. So I get it. I understand it. I respect it. But you just never knew on what play down court, Pat Beverly was going to do something to essentially try and take you out. Right. Because he was willing to give himself up in that manner to do that for his team. Where I love him, for somebody who is not the greatest player offensively, for him to have the impact that he has night in and night out with his size and his grit and his passion, it's pretty unmatched. There's not too many people that I think have that kind of impact on a game. I mean, last night, he he had double-digit rebounds. He was in there like rebounding like a big fella. Yeah, with big men in the paint. (laughs) He was somehow finding his way to the ball. And we're talking about against the Lakers, who's arguably the biggest team in the league. Definitely known for their size, from LeBron being the biggest point guard in the league. I was shocked. I was surprised. Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, Kuzma. Like, those are all big dudes. And he was in there just digging them out. It's crazy because that might be one of the best games I've ever seen him play. And we've watched him make some big moments, but I'm just mm-hmm. talking about the whole game. He was a part of the action. He was in there grabbing, re- like you said, to get 11 rebounds and to make the biggest defensive stop at the end of the game. And he made some big shots, too, a couple big threes that was real on time for them. So I think it was one of the better games I've ever seen him play in his career. I, what I, a better day I to agree. do it, right? It was definitely probably one of the most monumental games yeah, he's played in his the, career. Yeah, for sure. You know, with the block on LeBron and just the activity, yeah. Christmas Day, all of that. Uh, all of those elements kind of added to the nah, equation. He was, he was a big factor. But you mentioned that you might think that Giannis is the best player in the league. Sure did. I think it was proven why he isn't the he best player bad, uh, in the league on Christmas Day. Well, I mean, I'm not <laughs> going to say that because I, I thought uh, before saying he was the best player in the league, I thought he was lacking a three-point shot last year for sure. And, uh, you know, this year he's his numbers have grown. His shooting percentage has grown. His three-point percentage has grown exponentially up until last night he went 0 for 7. So that's going to drop it right back down some. But, uh I think that's what he was missing, and I don't. It's hard for me to say that one game is gonna take away from the the praise and credit I was just getting or giving him for, um, you know, getting better with his jump shot in the one area I thought he was lacking. He's been a monster power wise. He's been a good defender, rebounder, all that kind of stuff. So I thought the jumper was lacking, and he has shown vast improvement. I'm not gonna say after one game that you know he he he's not the best in the league but 
if he keeps shooting like that or anything close, I might reconsider and maybe he just had a little hot streak. Well, yeah, I just don't think... Here's what I will say as far as Giannis is, and his jump shot. I think he's more confident in shooting the jump shot this year. And I think that has to obviously do with work. He's in the gym working hard all the time. But I think and accolades... And I think accolade, accolades also play a role in that. When you get more accolade, accolades and you kind of prove yourself to be that guy, you, can you play got a little, a little bit more looseness that you can play with. You got a little bit more freedom out there. And I think his jump shot has improved because of those particular reasons. I don't think he has a good jump shot yet, though. I think he has a confident jump shot. I think that he's gotten to a point in his career where it's like, you know what? If I ever want to become a shooter that I need to become to be the best player in the game of basketball, I got to start letting it fly. And because of what I do and every other aspect of the I game, afford, I can afford to let, it, afford fly to let it fly see what happens. and see what happens. And I think now he's kind of at that point from more of, I guess, a confidentiality standpoint. But I do think what yesterday's game proved is that when it comes to the big moments, when it comes to playing against the best of the best, the cream of the crop, when it comes to a game slowing down, which is what it does in the playoffs, things are a lot more meticulous. The game is a lot more physical. Your opponents are a lot better at their craft. All the way around, the game slows down, and you have to really be able to kind of dial in every single possession rather than get up and down the way Giannis is usually able to do and fly around and dunk on everybody and all that. You got to really become a legitimate playmaker. And I don't think Giannis has that element to his game where against the best and against the cream of the crop, he'll be able to come out there and shoot at a high level. He can mm -hmm. do everything else at a high level. Mm -hmm. Don't think he'll be able to shoot at a high level, though. And yesterday, I he think stunk mimicked, it up yesterday. I mean, I thought it mimicked a yesterday playoff. Yesterday was like he game. he was missing layups. Like you notice, Giannis, he was missing some real layups yesterday. But he had, like, but he had Embiid guarding him, yeah. who's who's Embiid played great. He played great. Embiid and Embiid said it after the game. I'm out here trying to win Defensive Player of the Year, and that kind of feeds into my point where you're playing against the better defenders individually and collectively. You're playing against teams that really know how to play in that kind of playoff style of ball. And I think last night's game was the closest game that that Milwaukee team has had this season that mimicked what they can potentially see in the playoffs. And it showed. <laughs> like, it legitimately showed, and it didn't shock me or surprise me at all. I think Giannis is the future of the NBA, but I can't quite give him the best. I'm giving Kawhi the best because Anthony Davis, who you could kind of look at as an equivalent to Joel Embiid, he didn't have an answer for Kawhi Leonard last night. LeBron James, who's obviously LeBron James, didn't have an answer for Kawhi Leonard last night. And we really haven't seen anybody have an answer for Kawhi Leonard. Where does Big Game James come in and all this? Just the best scorer in the league? LeBron? No. James oh, Harden. Oh, James Harden. Um, definitely the best scorer in the league. Okay. I mean, he just. Because I know we just talked about uh, Anthony Davis being the easiest bucket. Yeah, I think Anthony Davis is the easiest bucket as far yeah. as being able to get it anyway. Yeah, I know what you uh, mean. A pull-up jumper. But James Harden is the best scorer. No matter basket. how it's coming, he's driving, no he's step back, coming. free throws, 
And, uh, and he's, a, I think, I think he's more of a cheat code yeah, with his skill set. Well, we his might ability. as well transition and talk about that game since we're talking James Harden. Uh, hey. That was a surprise hey. of all surprises. Hey, Dub Nation! Whoa. Dub Nation! Whoa! Dub I was Nation. not expecting that. I'm I, mad I didn't write that. Uh, the uh, odds on that was probably plus yeah. seven hundred for the Golden State Warriors. If I would have bet ten dollars on the Warriors, you would have hit. You would have. They was hit. like favored to lose by more than eleven. That. I wasn't thinking that they was going to beat the Rockets <laughs> on Christmas. That's why I didn't think Under about Under no it. circumstances, huh? But, I mean, anytime you got D-Lo... I, I, I go to say this all the time. I got a lot of respect for D'Angelo Russell. He's a dog. He mm-hmm. he can get buckets, too. He's a And he can take over player. a game. I've watched him do it. And so, he got to an early hot start. Anytime you got somebody who can score like D'Angelo Russell, and then you got somebody with the IQ and the experience that... Draymond Green has and leadership. I, yeah, I do think that I was stupid for not thinking that they mm-hmm. even had a chance. You know, yeah. after I looked at it, I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Obviously, you need a couple of the younger guys to step up, which they did. But with them two being a focal point of, you know, the yeah. nucleus of the team, yeah. shit, they they had a chance and they yeah. showed that and, and they Steve won. Kerr as a coach and Steve that Kerr too. as a coach for that sure. Too. So. Yeah, man, I, I I screwed up sleeping on that because that was not what I expected. That was definitely a sleeper game. But um, shout out to the Golden State Warriors because I hope they made Dwayne Wade eat his words. Because did you see what Dwayne Wade tweeted Mm-mm. the other day? He basically tweeted something, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here like crazy, but he basically tweeted something to the extent of Christmas Day. It should be more of a surprise element to what the Christmas Day games will be. And the teams that are actually playing well up to that point of the season should be the teams that essentially get nominated or picked oh, to play stupid. on Christmas Day. And I love Dwayne similar Wade, to, similar been, to like an all-star game. D-Wade been where, effing up in the last couple where, weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't going to get into the other part, but he's over two with me in the last couple weeks. So I hope yeah. he's doing something real cool in yeah, the next right, recent so, future. Yeah, he tried to compare it to like all-star <laughs> game. An all-star game. Guys don't know that they'll be an all-star until closer to all-star right, weekend. It's just like the scheduling of um you, you know the NBA league and all that we we didn't know Steph Curry was going to get hurt at the right. beginning and I think that makes the game a right. lot more you know so sure. it's just a bad <laughs> hand but they still gave us entertainment yesterday I, it was, I watched Curry. it from start to finish yeah. and couldn't stop watching so yeah. I mean yeah. I mean I thought and, and I think solely beyond Steph Curry getting hurt I think just based on what the Golden State Warriors has meant to the NBA in the last five years, fuck it, let's just say this yeah. decade, since we're on this decade trend right now anyway, what the Warriors has meant to the NBA this decade, they're the team of the decade, the pro sports team of the decade. They deserve to be in that Christmas Day slot as they were, regardless of who was on that basketball team. Yeah, hey D Way, uh, don't don't retire and get crazy on this. All right, <laughs> you had a clean, good career. I respect you. Don't don't retire and get crazy. All right. Yeah. Now I will say I didn't really watch the morning game. I didn't really watch the uh, Celtics Raptors game. I think I heard Kyle Lowry got hurt and. The Celtics, they, they're handling their business. Jalen Brown got off. Jalen Brown is such an interesting dude to me. I really want to chat it up with that I'm guy. I'm not sold he's on him He's an interesting dude way. to me. Uh, and that's just beyond his, basketball. Yeah, his game is up and down to me, though. Like I feel like he has some real star moments. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm not never convinced that he's a superstar yet, but I think he's had some star moments on the court. And then other games where i just seen him kind of be a non-factor. So I just can't wait till this game. Be, like I feel like he's... One summer, one real hard summer away from 
being dominant night in and night out. Mm-hmm. I just haven't seen it yet. I could be wrong. I don't watch the Celtics I mean, a lot, but I feel like from what Celtics I've seen, playing damn good. Yeah, I know, I know that. But I'm talking about him in, in particular. Uh, he has nights where he just takes over games, and yeah. he's lanky. He's you know crafty, all that kind of stuff. So like I said, I shot. think he's just yeah got a good shot. I think he's one summer away from really dominating at his position. Night in and night out. Which makes perfect sense because how old is the guy? 21 years old? Damn, for 22 real. 22 years old. I mean, he did one year of college. He graduated. He graduated. Did he go to me. Cal? He graduated in 2013. Yeah, he went to Cal. Yeah, I know. I so met Hella cool with him, too. Yeah, yeah, he graduated yeah. in, what, 2013 and went to college 2014 or something like that. He's probably 22, 23 years old at this point, which is still before your prime year. Yeah, so, yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, it makes sense that he's kind of in that spot that awkward spot of the next step is stardom for real, but he just hasn't quite made the transition all the way over to being right. a star in this league yet. Right. But he he's still that guy. And I didn't watch the last game either, um, which was a surprising W for the New Orleans Pelicans over the Denver Nuggets. I just knew the Denver Nuggets would win that game, and they didn't. So I'm not really going to talk about it because I don't really care too much about the Pelicans. And I didn't watch the game to really be or, able to get me some crazy. Did, yeah. The Nuggets will be fine. They'll yeah. be totally fine. There's That's not a team you want to play later on in the season, in the postseason. They'll be totally fine. But, hey, the Pelicans went out there and got the job done. Um, but next up, D-Boy, we're going to talk a little bit about Beast Mode going to the Seattle Seahawks once again. I'm excited about it on multiple fronts. So keep it locked. It's the Wake Up and Win podcast with Devon Pouncey. Keep it locked, folks, as we continue to give you a winning formula. It's the Wake Up and Win podcast. Visit ThatCast.com for more great content on ThatCast Network. So, Marshawn Lynch, the beast is back. He's in Seattle, a couple hours away from us down the I-5 right now. And I'll be honest with you, I'm loads of excited. In fact, I'm so excited I'm making a push right now to try to get to that game this Sunday. I know you is. You've been talking about it for about two weeks. I'm making a push to try to go. I mean, I, I have been talking about it for a couple weeks, but I didn't really try to make the push till today, honestly, because um, the person who I would want to make the push through, I didn't know if he was going to be traveling or not this week. It's been the holidays. We all been busy. I've been busy. He's been busy. And I just didn't reach out and it kind of slipped up. Then, obviously, this week, Marshawn Lynch gets picked up. And uh, it's my boy Jason Verrett, by the way. He plays for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, but he's been injured for majority of the year, so he didn't know if he was traveling. So I reached out today, found out that he will be traveling this weekend. But when I tried to get some tickets for it, he told me that the 49ers tickets were all sold out. Which makes total sense to me, being that Seattle probably put a significant cap on the amount of tickets that the San Francisco 49ers could get because of all the implications that this game holds. Obviously the first one being the division title. Um, Whoever wins this game will win the NFC West division. This is playoff seeding. This is, this is bragging rights. This San Francisco 49ers Seattle Seahawk rivalry. It goes back to the Kaepernick days and you know, it's NFC West rivalry. So it's just a flat out rivalry there. Then, obviously, you have the big news of Marshawn Lynch coming back this weekend. I'm excited on multiple fronts. Obviously, from a football front, 
um, beast mode coming back and playing football is it's a delight. It's a pleasure. One of the greatest running backs I've ever seen. One of the greatest running backs we've ever seen. And to have kind of this story like moment where he leaves this team, he goes back and plays in his hometown and you know, that doesn't work out for whatever reason. Then I thought we were done seeing Marshawn Lynch play the sport of football. Honestly, I thought that he was was over over it. You know, obviously Oakland is going to Las Vegas. I thought it was over for Marshawn Lynch. (laughs) And what do you fucking know? The guy is coming back to play football for a Seattle Seahawks team who pretty much has been depleted at the running back position due to injuries. And I think that he's actually going to come back and make somewhat of a difference for this team. Do you see a difference being made, being that he's being kind of pulled off the couch like this? No. And going, no? 13 rushes, 69 yards. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I see from him this week. Why do you say that? Is it because of him not playing? Is it because of the it's greatness of the not Niners' playing. defense? Yeah, coming back, I mean, both, all of the above. I mean, the Niners have been playing very well this year. They've been proving that their defense is not to be played with. Like you said, Marshawn, not only has he been away from the game, but as far as I know or expected, I thought he was over it too. I don't see that he's taking a super massive training approach to coming back. I think he was fully accepting of being done with the game. Now, we've seen it in a different sport with Carmelo Anthony being done recently and coming back, taking a few games and getting back into the swing of things and then ultimately picking up some of the slack while Dame haven't been shooting the best as of late and, uh, you know, really showing that he can still compete at that level. So um, I'm not saying that, you know, through the course of this playoff run that he might not help a little bit more and more per game, but I just don't see that he's been training and preparing for this moment. Hence why it was a bit of a shock to both me and you. And, uh, you know, with the combination of the Niners being good, I just don't see him having a stellar day. I think he's been prepared. I think Marshawn has been absolutely ready for this particular moment. Um, And the reason being is because, yeah, you mentioned Carmelo Anthony from a basketball front. Um, obviously, you had people like me who was kind of more so not really on the Carmelo Anthony train. Me either. Um, you had, you had, you know, but you also had people that were on the Carmelo Anthony train. You had the hoodie mellow moments um, happening in the midst of Carmelo being out. So you knew he was still training. You knew he was still getting ready. Um, obviously, he went on the first take and they did like a special interview with him and Stephen A. Smith on first take where he talked about you know, why he felt he deserved to be in the league. He made it vocal that he still wanted to be in the league, et cetera, et cetera. So to see Carmelo come back and have some success, I don't think has anything to do with anybody feeling like he wasn't taking the time necessary to train during the offseason. But they felt his performance wasn't there. and And that's completely different. In the case of Marshawn, I don't think there's ever really been a true moment where we felt like Marshawn's performance wasn't there. Bullshit. But he was on our team, the Raiders. <laughs> yeah, but the cat- Raiders' performance wasn't there either. The Raiders yeah, just were not he, a good he team. He didn't help and, and shit. I mean, yeah, he definitely didn't help it, but who can <laughs> at this point? Shit, we, even though we still might get a wild card spot on some crazy shit. I know. <laughs> if some, crazy. If some our crazy record shit. actually looked better than our season was. We, we had a shitty season, yeah. and the record... 
the reason we no, had a the reason we had a shitty season is because we lost games that we shouldn't have. Like it to was the like New York two to Jets. three games that yeah, we could have won and been sitting a lot like, pretty. How did we give that one up? We would be in even the last <laughs> game. Games. We yeah. shouldn't have lost that one. We, we lost in the last minute well, to we the Titans. San Diego, but the game before that, yeah, the yeah, Titans, yeah, the yeah. Titans. Yeah. yeah, games we shouldn't have lost. We've lost, no doubt, no doubt about it. Um, but. Going back to Marshawn, one thing with me, and this is why I talked about kind of my sentimental relationship that I had with Steph Curry. I also have sort of a sentimental relationship with Marshawn Lynch and who he is, the athlete that he is, et cetera, et cetera, because a lot of the reason, if I had to pinpoint a particular athlete that has motivated me to be in the position where I am today, where I have a podcast that focuses heavily on the intersection of sports and politics, obviously culture too, but in this particular case, I want to talk sports and politics. Um, writing for Street Roots, I've done the interviews with Etan Thomas and Jeremy Abobasi, and um, I, I write these particular pieces in regards to sports and politics, um, you know, within Street Roots as well. So I write about it, I broadcast about it, I talk about it, and I'm kind of created a lane for myself within that world. But I think I've talked about it once before on here, but just to kind of bring it back up again, um, when I was in college at Pacific University, I took a politics in the media class, and my professor was that class was actually Dr. Jules Boykoff, mm-hmm. who we've talked about, who we've had here, friend of the show, we've had him here several times as a guest on this podcast. He's definitely one of the more prominent names when it comes to more so the academic element of the Olympics and the research and the history of the Olympics. He's published several books, written several articles, a big name in that world. He, he, he's a big time. He's a big time guy. Right. Um, and definitely, you know, a mentor of mine as well in this field. But he was my professor at the time when I was taking this politics in the media class. And one of kind of the subsectors of that class was focusing on framing. So a bunch of different historic moments that have happened within politics and within kind of social issues throughout America's history. We kind of learned how to break down how these particular stories were framed by um, the mainstream media. Right. And so... At the end of the class, at the end of the semester, our final project was to write a. It was about a thirty-page report, and we had to do a presentation on the report. Which the presentation was fairly easy because if you got a thirty-page report, you can make a ten-minute presentation out of all the info that you'll have in that particular report. Right. Um. So we do a thirty-page report, and we had to do it on framing and how. Um, certain things that we may have had interested in or in history was framed um, based on whatever elements were there. And so, you know, in college, you have all these accesses to these primetime databases where you could just type in these names and type in these keywords and you can get a shit ton of credible articles to be able to kind of break these articles down and get your get your kind of data and be able to gather your data to break all of this stuff down and ultimately come up with some patterns and things that you may see after gathering all that data and all that information. And so I want to say it was about 50 articles that I had to read through. And the project was on Marshawn Lynch and Richard Sherman. 
and the time period that these articles were that I gathered my data for was the two years that they went to the Super Bowl from the last game of the season through like March 1st. Usually the Super Bowl is early February, but you kind of got those final three weeks or those three weeks or so after the Super Bowl where, you know, guys' names are still definitely in the media. Folks are still talking about these Super Bowls. So you want to give it a little bit of time after the Super Bowl as well to be able to gather this information. And it was back-to-back seasons that they went. And one thing that I gathered in comparing Richard Sherman and Marshawn Lynch, who were two very different guys, Sherman, loudmouth, talkative dude, um, obviously went to Stanford, Marshawn went to Cal. Um, Sherman comes from Compton, Marshawn comes from Oakland. Um, I was able to kind of gather all this information. And although those two guys acted completely different during that time period, because Sherman always wanted to talk and had something to say, and Marshawn was just there so he didn't get fined, so he didn't really have anything that he wanted to say at all. When I gathered and compiled these articles, it was interesting how similarly these two guys were framed as people and as athletes, even though it was proven based on what the public saw, based on how they acted and what they did, that these were two completely different guys. But in majority of these, in majority of these articles, it would talk a whole bunch about how they come from the inner city and Sherman being from uh, Compton and Marshawn being from Oakland rather than the foundations that both of these guys have and giving back to Compton and giving back to Oakland. Um, It talked a lot about kind of, um, oh, and, and it also didn't talk much about their background of being these educated guys. Marshawn Lynch attended Cal Berkeley, one of the most prominent schools academically there is. Same goes for Stanford, which is where Richard Sherman attended. So I was able to compile all this data and all this information, and then the presentation went well. And from there, after I did that presentation, Jules and I had this conversation because the following semester he was teaching a politics and sports class, which I really had no idea about. And I ended up joining that class. And from there, things just kind of took its own course. And now I'm still this guy who has this major interest in politics and sports. And I obviously discuss it through the lens of my podcast and I write about it as well and have made a profession out of it, which has been very cool. So Marshawn kind of holds sentimental value to me from that particular point, because he was the guy that I did a project on that opened my eyes. And I was just doing this project to get a grade and pass the class. I had no idea that it was going to lead to me taking a politics and sports class and me now doing what I'm doing, leading colloquiums, all the stuff that I've gotten to do from that realm. But one thing about Marshawn is he's never been a guy to say much. So I think he's easy to sleep on and kind of fall back on thinking that Marshawn don't really care. He don't really give a fuck because he doesn't really show his passion for the game. He doesn't really show his love for the game through his communication and even through his actions unless you're literally watching him play on the field. So I think Marshawn has been training. I think Marshawn is prepared and ready. And he's just been quiet about it because he doesn't really care what nobody thinks anyway. And he's never been the one to talk about what he does in his spare time, what he does when he's away from the game, because he doesn't want to talk to you anyway about anything at all. (laughs) So I think Marshawn 
I don't think he just came back on a fluke and wasn't ready to play ball. I think he went through the physical, and the Seahawks liked what they saw through him from the physical. And I think he's just been chilling, kicking back, working out, running his little beast mode store, and just doing his thing. And I think that he's going to come out and have a big game, and I think that he is a guy that you do not want to have to deal with in the playoffs. So I gave my hot take. Because he's a big-time playmaker. Give yours. I want to know what you think, what, I think what his he, numbers going to I think project. he runs for over 100 yards. On how many carries, you think? Because that's another thing. I don't want to get too into it, but let's not sleep on the fact that they did sign Robert Turbin as well, who's another back for the Seahawks, which I think they yeah. might split in the hot, kind of like how CJ and them did last year. in a hot hand might carries. You think I give him 100 yards. Or I, I definitely think he'll average over four yards a carry. So even if he, either he gets over 100 yards in the game or even, if, be or even if it carry. is 10 to 15 yards, I think he averaged, I mean, 10 to 15 carries or whatever the case may be, I think he averages over four yards a carry. Quality production. Which carry. is quality production. <laughs> I right. mean, so well, that's what I that's what I see from Marshawn going into this. So, yeah, I think it was a big move for the Seahawks, and I think Marshawn is somebody who has always been prepared and ready to play in these moments. He's got great experience playing in these moments. And I think he could be similar to the story of C.J. Anderson last year when C.J. Anderson got picked up by the Rams late in the regular season when Todd Gurley got hurt. And because C.J. had the talent and the experience of being a Super Bowl champion and planning some big-time playoff games and having big-time moments before leading up to that point, they were able to put him right in, and he was able to produce in a way that nobody saw coming. So I think we could see more of the same from Marshawn Lynch this time around. So, Jason, see what you could do for me, man. I know, you know, we got to kind of go through some different options as far as being able to get a ticket to this game this weekend. But I would surely love to go to that because I know the atmosphere is going to be live, <laughs> like absolutely insane and I'm looking forward to even if I don't go out there watching the game on TV because that's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime game. So, yeah, I'm giving Marshawn either over 100 yards or I'm giving him averaging more than four yards to carry on double-digit amounts, uh, on a double-digit amount of carries as well. Um, so that's my hot take on it. Next up, we at the end of the decade. I DJ a little bit. I love music. D-Boy, you're an artist. You're a musician. Musician. Let's talk about how 2019 ended up being as far as hip-hop is concerned and ultimately music is concerned. And we'll let that kind of lead into some other musical conversations as well. So keep it locked. It's the Wake Up and Win podcast with Devon Pouncey. Keep it locked, folks, as we continue to give you a winning formula. It's the Wake Up and Win podcast. Visit thatcast.com for more great content on ThatCast Network. All right, now, usually our last segment is our Take an L segment, and usually I got my own topic for the Take an L segment, and D-Boy also has his own topic for the Take an L segment. We usually don't know what that particular topic is going to be, so um, you kind of get a live reaction from the both of us based on whatever topic it is that we're bringing to the table. But as of late, D-Boy and I have had some conversations in regard to music and particularly, or I, and I would more so say hip-hop because I don't want to get people confused, especially being that I'm a DJ and the music that I actually play at Export isn't necessarily hip-hop. It's more so kind of a neo-soul hip-hop and house fusion. Um, 
really they want like house music there but hey I kind of you know did a thing or two to be able to kind of prove to them that I could kind of play subgenres of house music and blend it all together and I think it makes for a greater sound for that particular ambiance that particular atmosphere and aesthetic the aesthetics that fit that rooftop bar and quite frankly it's been working but right now we're talking hip-hop d-boy is a hip-hop artist um hip-hop is still my primary genre that i listen to that i support and that i do love um i think hip-hop represents the culture more than any other genre of music so we're going to talk hip-hop in 2019 as i mentioned this will be our taking l's because the both of us think 2019 was a pretty shit year for hip-hop D-Boy, I'll let you start off by telling us why you think it was, and then I'll piggyback off of that and obviously give some of my reasons as to why I think 2019 was a not-so-good year within the genre. All right, all right. Well, I like starting this one off, obviously, with me being so deeply rooted into music, and um, I'm coming from an artist standpoint because, obviously, I'm anxious to hear your feedback about it because you are what I would call a music connoisseur. You listen to a lot of different music, as you said, a mm -hmm. lot of different genres and that and that. So you kind of know what works for people. You kind of hear things early and foresee what's going to be a hit before it's really a hit. And Definitely. All of that. So I'm, I'm anxious to hear your topic. But as an artist, um, I do a lot of research. I look at what different websites and different labels post about who had the hottest albums and the drops behind it. And when I looked at a lot of these credible blog and website lists, such as Hip Hop DX and things of that nature, I came to quite a surprise that in the top three to five of all of those uh, different tastemakers, they chose Freddie Gibbs as the album of the year, basically. Yeah. And that's no knock to Freddie Gibbs. I know Freddie Gibbs is a talented MC. It was MC. a good album. It was you, a really good, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Right. Sure. And like I said, Freddie Gibbs is good. I, it's no knock. I've always respected him as an MC. But I guess to further go deep into it, like I said, he was in a lot of people's top three to top five. But Hip Hop DX in particular, he, he won album of the year with them. Wow. Album of the year, mm -hmm. 2019. And on a mainstream level, I'm not even sure that certain people even know who the hell Freddie Gibbs is. I agree. Do you 100%. agree that he's not a household name in no, the music industry? He's not. So where as an artist, I kind of like that things are spiced up and we have so much access to listening that the popular or expected, you know, artists wasn't necessarily in the top three and top five as mentioned at the same time i think it speaks volumes that a credible source such as hip-hop dx choosing freddie gibbs as the album of the year either shows one that it was a very 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 impressive project or number two that the competition just really wasn't there this year and it yeah. could be a combination of all of the above but I think that spoke volumes for sure. Freddie Gibbs being at the top of the list. Also, it was no real major... I don't think Drake dropped an album this year. He mm -hmm. would be in people's lists. I didn't see him there. Uh, Rihanna, even though that's not necessarily rap and hip-hop, 
she didn't drop an album. I think that would have featured a lot of rappers, giving you know artists being on there giving a uh, verses. So her not dropping an album, Drake not dropping an album. Uh, Rick Ross dropped an album this year. Ross, dropped, Ross the dropped the album. He wasn't in a lot of people's tops. I think his album didn't exceed expectations this year. As a big name artist, I know mm-hmm. it was anticipated. And you just never really seen that buzz stick. It was very short-lived with that album drop. Um, I would have to say one of the highlights of the year is an artist that I know you personally are a fan of. And I'm I resp- I'm not going to say I'm a fan, but I respect the talent. I think his career would be short-lived. And what I mean by that, I don't think we'll necessarily be talking about this artist at all in the next three to four years, and that's the baby. We know he had a hot 2019. I think it's more so trendy rap right now. Uh, I'm not sure if he cemented himself as an artist. I know his label or team or whoever are making some smart plays with his social media. I've seen him helping out homeless people and a, a family, you know, shopping, doing some things that I think has gained him some extra credibility outside of the music. But, you know, just with the music and what I get from it so far, I just don't think he's someone who will stick as a permanent relevancy in the music industry. But he had a very hot 2019. I I would have to respectfully disagree with that. That, And I I expected you to, (laughs) but I just... And it's actually a conversation that I had on the phone with Simba two days ago, maybe yesterday, and he felt the same way. He actually brought it up, and I kind of agreed, but... I don't think the baby will be around in 2024 on a mainstream stick and relevant level. Obviously, he got a hit or two that might be getting played in a club, you know, because time is time, we still hearing beat the pussy up in some yeah, yeah, uh, club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's not to say that he won't still have some music circulating, but I don't I think this is definitely the biggest year by far that he had and is going to have. I, I would have to respectfully disagree with that. And the reason why is because, for one, I think you paid homage to it, but I think the baby, the, the baby has mastered the internet. And I don't see that going away anytime soon. I think he's been able to master kind of who he is as an artist. He's been able to sort of make what I would consider to be like a caricature of himself by way of the internet with the grill, the smile. And that's why I think it'll be short-lived, to but, be honest. But, but, but I think that actually, I, I disagree. I think an artist that can make a caricature of themselves actually can stick a little bit longer because they have that caricature. It's not like he's living off of just a hit record don't and, get me or wrong. having a hot year. I said three years, three or four years. So sure. don't get me wrong. I for think sure. those things that you mentioned is what's going to give. I think if it was a music alone, Maybe he'll be on a two-year now, run. Blueface, I think he get three to four years. He doesn't have that element to him. But once again, opinion. it's kind of a trade. I think Blueface's music, uh, outside of the Buzz Down Tatiana song, I think his music doesn't stick. Where the baby's music is more respectable. It's yeah. more respectful and talent infested. And so I think a combination of his music actually being you know he spit some bars it's respectable it's good beats stuff people could party to and rap along with so i think the combination of the caricature type of situation along with some decent music is what's gonna give him 
two to three real solid years I out of this disagree. game. I and then I think after that, it's just going to phase I'll out. i tell you why I still disagree about that, because I don't know if you saw the post the other day when he was speaking with reporters because he was wrongfully arrested. I think Blueface is one of those, I mean, not Blueface, but the baby is one of those artists that will be able to transition from being just an artist who makes nothing but ratchet music to being able to be a storytelling um socially conscious socially aware I think he's type already artist. With the story I think, I, think, I, think I do can. too I but but what I'm saying is Kirk album. I think but but that's why I think it'll work for him because I think he's already there with the storytelling but I still think that we label him as just this ratchet artist but because he has the element of being able to tell stories once we start to really get a feel for kind of his real life element and I think a start to that was what he did a couple days ago when he was talking to the reporters about him being wrongfully arrested and like knowing his rights and the, and things of that sort I think he could be like a YG for that particular region YG I think was the same type of artist came in the game completely ratchet somebody we thought just knew how to make those ratchet hood records him and mustard and that's what they did but i thought yg had somebody in his corner like nipsey for sure but he kind of woke up and yg more so became an artist that was able to transition from being just this ratchet artist to actually starting to be but an I artist think, for the people but i still I think, think the baby has those same I exact still elements think YG to him. is considered a ratchet artist though what i'm saying is i think the baby holds even more he showcases more intelligence even than a YG. And YG is smart in the sense of, you know, the F. Donald Trump song. And he's made, the, he's crossed into politics through making a song with such substance. But he's still a ratchet ass rapper but, to me. But, but when Don't you, get it twisted. Thing, I think yeah, the I baby agree. has the opportunity where if he plays it right, the thing that's going to keep him relevant longer is crossing over to pop. For example, I think that, uh, the, the verse he did on Post Malone's song used to have, friends, now I got enemy. I think that's a part of the storytelling that he does, and I think that that showed the versatility, where that's a little bit more of a singing pop song, but his verse worked and fit right in on that. I think if he does more of that, yeah, maybe he is still well, relevant I, I in the next a, five years. But I but, think on a mainstream level, that's already happening by default with hip-hop, so I don't think that pop would necessarily be the move that keeps the baby relevant because hip hop on a mainstream level hip hop is popular it's, it's pop but it's, i'm it's, saying and i'm and i think that the fusion of pop and hip hop has already become so prominent that I don't think that's what would separate the baby necessarily. I think can it help him for sure, but I don't think that's the separating factor for the baby. As you mentioned, I think YG, so. somebody who, yeah, he's still a ratchet rapper, and I think the baby could still be a ratchet rapper years down the line. But YG has also, and I, I got to see YG earlier this year live and in concert, and YG now has a element to him, especially when you see him live. And I think that's one thing that can keep artists alive too is how good they are as live performers. YG lets it be known clearly and blatantly, I'm here for the people. I'm involved in these certain kind of political and these social issues the way that I am on behalf of the people. I see the baby by way of the internet being somebody who can represent 
a mass group of people by his storyline from what he's dealt with in the streets from him actually killing somebody to losing his father to now, like I said, having these interactions with the police where he's being wrongfully arrested. I think the baby is going to ultimately play off that and it'll work in his favor. And because he does have the ability to storytell, whether it be in a ratchet way or in more of a kind of conscious, socially conscious type of a way, being able to play those elements off of each other just shows kind of the diversity he has to the talent that he is ultimately and i think that he could last but and last but not least on my take for the music before you take over real quick even though we kind of been back and forth with ideas i just wanted to acknowledge that what i thought was a real strong project and a highlight in the music industry this year was dreamville uh revenge of the dreamers 3 i could be a little bit biased there because i know two people personally that are involved in that project. Mm-hmm. Actually, three, considering Guap Dad 4000, who I just performed with not too long ago. But Mies, uh produced uh, on that album for Dreamville, and he's uh, Kaz's DJ, who Kaz is under uh, artist under Dreamville. Mm-hmm. He produces for Kaz. Uh, he landed some production placement on that project, as well as Kaz being somebody who I... I'm not going to say grew up with, but when I lived in L.A., we had the same barber. We didn't been in the same neighborhood. I met all him, me's, all of them back in L.A. when I lived in Long Beach, as most of you people know. So I think the fact that seeing them get nominated for a Grammy and be a part of such a strong project stand out in 2019, um, I do want to go ahead and salute them. So shout out to me's and Kaz and everybody under that Dreamville umbrella for that project. But... You know, even with that and it being Dreamville and, you know, the powerful roster that they have, um, I still think that it was some room for improvement, even with that project, which we all we always can improve. But it just yeah, it just wasn't a super superb year in music. And I think 2020 is going to take flight in a major way. and, (laughs) And I agree that it wasn't a great year. And I think 2020 will take flight. Um, and a lot of the reasons, as you mentioned earlier, Um, I think artists like Drake. Drake is somebody who I think will definitely drop a project in 2020. Drake is somebody who doesn't do interviews and doesn't really, um, really do too much content outside of the music in his music videos and the Toronto Raptors. (laughs) But he uh, he obviously was on the LeBron show this year. And then after that, just dropped yesterday on YouTube. He did a two and a half hour interview with Rap Radar. I think that's a part of Drake's rollout to be able to get his voice out there, explain everything he feels needs to be explained before he releases some music, because there are times where there is some confusion around Drake and what he's doing. And people are sort of on the fence about Drake as a person and a human being. So I think by him going on these platforms and expressing himself the way that he has, obviously, on LeBron's show and i haven't even seen the rap radar interview yet but the fact that it was a two and a half interview i'm sure he let some things go that he really wanted to get off his chest over Mm -hmm. that span of two and a half hours so i'll be watching that tonight once we're done recording but drake i think is somebody who will drop kendrick we haven't heard him drop since the black panther project i think kendrick will come out and he'll drop and these guys will ultimately try to get that first step in the new decade because right now we're we're talking a lot about the end of the decade and we're kind of 
talk and it's it's trendy how the decade is ending who was the top highest paid athletes of the decade who was the best rappers of the decade what were the best songs of the decade and i think going into 2020 it can give a lot of these artists a mindset that we can start the decade off right so that way if we come out strong 10 years down the line when we're talking about the end of the 2020s my music that I'm making right now, literally in the year 2020, will be talked about in 2029 and give me a different form of relevance at that particular point. Um, also, you got J. Cole, like you mentioned. J. Cole kind of sat back. He let his Dreamville label do their thing with the album. I agree that it was a good album. But I also feel that J. Cole, with that album coming out, it showed and proved that there's nobody in Dreamville even remotely close to J. Cole when it comes to his ability to make music. So now you got 2020 coming around. J. Cole did what he had to do for his artists. He gave them that platform. He gave them that, that album. They got a Grammy nomination for it. So now I can come back and release my own album, which I think will be far greater than the Dreamville album. And I can put some of my artists on on my particular album as well. So I think it'll be a big year for him. Um, as far as the young artists that I do think thrived in 2019, YBN Corday and Roddy Rich, whose project just recently dropped and is doing very, very well. Um, I think those two artists in 2020 will start to kind of get more pub by way of collaboration. I think they had strong years and made waves for themselves, but now is the time where they're going to need these bigger artists and these more mainstream artists to kind of give them that hand up on some features and getting on their particular projects, which will give them an even bigger platform, an even bigger name, and an even bigger opportunity to make big records. So, yeah, um, I, yeah I think the, not the gatekeepers, but I think if we had to give active rappers a Mount Rushmore, which I would say Drake would be on, Kendrick would be on, J. Cole would be on, and I don't really know who I want to give the fourth spot to just yet, but if we had to give it, <laughs> nah, nah, I don't think he's on that tier. I think Legendary is a different story, but as far as active rappers today, 40 is nowhere near Kendrick, Drake, or... Uh, J. Cole as far as artistry is concerned today, hip-hop so, artistry in particular. We got Childish Gambino dropping next year. It's That's his final one. installment. Big deal. 21 Savage, A Boogie with the Hoodie, J. Cole, The Weeknd, Ray Shrimmert. We thought they fell apart. I don't think we got apart. a Big Sean project either. We didn't get a Big Sean project this year. Maybe. No, he 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 came out and he made the announcement. No, we didn't he get a project. He, he dropped some singles. He dropped like two singles, yeah. But remember he came out Drake. talking about his anxiety and all of and that, stuff, mental yeah. health on his birthday. And so Big Sean is another one who I think you can kind of put on that Mount Rushmore nah. of active rappers. Mm -mm. I mean, he's a tier mm -mm. below. I would say he's a tier right, below. There we go. Which is high praise to be a tier below those guys. That's high, 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 high praise. Um, you kind of mentioned Ray Rihanna, which I actually think as far as Rihanna's genre of music is concerned, which I would say is more R&B, neo-soul. But you know um, she gonna have some rap. Yeah, yeah, R&B. Yeah, you got R&B, neo soul, sort of that uh, kind of, uh, kind of that Afro, Afro, not Afro Latin, but kind of that African style music um, that Rihanna tends to make that Caribbean vibe. The you know those kind of vibes. I actually think that type of music did really well in 2019. I think R&B shitted on hip hop in 2019. I think uh, neo soul shitted on hip hop in 2019. I think and female rap 
I think female took rap shitted on yeah, male rap in girls 2019. Cardi B, Megan yeah, them girls I think made noise. Lizzo, what she was able to Lizzo, do, she, I mean, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I think all of those elements took place in 2019, which took away from how good of a year I think hip hop is. And I don't want to discredit those women. I want to say that these men actually have to step it up because these women are taking over the game. Kudos to them, but hip hop has always been competitive. So I don't want fellas to just stand down because of where we are politically or where we are socially and just give these women the floor without them going out and earning it. Sure, they went out and earned it, but that don't mean you can't compete with them and try to kind of take it back and ultimately grow the sport. With all due so, respect. With all due respect. All due that's respect. why I mentioned. With all due, all due respect, grow the sport. It's, 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 it's competition. That's what hip-hop is all about, regardless of gender, sexual orientation, all of that good stuff. So, yeah, I think, you know, the the what I would consider to be the Mount, Mount Rushmore of today's hip-hop, or let's just take it back to the decade, the Mount Rushmore of the 2010 decade. Drake, Kendrick, J. Cole, and we still kind of got a question mark on that fourth spot. But that those that tier of artists didn't give us much at all in 2019. I think that tier of artists is going to give us a whole lot in 2020. And it'll make 2020 a fantabulous year for hip hop. And so I'm really looking forward to 2020 and how the music industry will thrive in that particular year. No shade to the artists that had success in 2019. But I think, like I said, R&B, neo-soul, other genres of music that relate primarily to the culture gave hip hop a run for its money. It's time for hip hop to kind of return the favor. So D-Boy, what you got for us, man? Uh, big show at the Hawthorne on January 10th with Cool Nuts, SOXO Extreme, Issa, and T Weez. Make sure you buy your tickets. The ticket link is in my bio on Instagram. Going into Instagram, you can find me there at dboy ltd. That's D B O I, not a Y L T D. Um, other than that, keep streaming the album Life Outside Social Media. That's still new and fresh off the press, so. Keep streaming. I'm still interested in seeing what y'all favorite songs off that album is. So other than that, the show and the album, that's all I got, P. D-Boy, you are going to be totally mad at me for what I'm about to tell you because I fucked up. What happened? <laughs> what what you do? The show January 10th, I got booked January 10th. You sure did. I what fucked you up. what you doing? Uh export? Export. I got okay. export January 10th. I got export the 4th. I got it the 10th. And then I got like the 25th or something like that. Um, part of it, though, had to do, for one, I just, I sent my available dates before I completely knew about the January 10th show. But my dates are, um, I'm pretty booked and busy from January to March, especially with college hoops. I actually don't have much availability on the weekends to be able to DJ like I have before. And so those dates are like literally the only dates that I'm even available to come in there and spend because every other weekend I'm covering another basketball game. Obviously, Portland State, who I already mentioned earlier, will be playing against Northern Colorado, not Northern Arizona. But I do want to say the reason I made the Northern Arizona mistake is because Northern Arizona is also in the Big Sky Conference as well. So it wasn't just some random school I was naming, but Northern Colorado, they play 
at the Viking Pavilion this Saturday, 12-28 at 2 p.m. And um, I'll be on the call. Pluto TV, Watch Big Sky uh, TV um, will be being broadcasted on both of those channels. And as I mentioned, export next Saturday, January 4th. First Saturday of the year, 2020. We getting it kicked off the right way. It'll be a lituation for sure. And as I mentioned, Pacific University, which I actually didn't mention yet today, but I'll be starting my broadcasting with Pacific University um, starting next weekend as well, January 3rd and 4th. And I'll literally be going from broadcasting a game January 4th to going to DJ at export. So as I mentioned, super booked and busy throughout these next few months, but I'll definitely be announcing my alma mater Pacific University games as well here on the podcast in the case that you want to hear me on the broadcast there. On that note, give it your all at whatever it is that you do. And we are going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go win.